Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Get More Students podcast. I'm your co-host, Alex Asher, and CEO of LearnCube. And I'm Herbert Gosso, founder of Learn Media. And today we're actually going into the weeds a little bit, but of a program and sort of system that is incredibly important, particularly in Europe. And it is um, really looking into these uh, these language subsidy programs that can be in France. We've seen similar ones in, in Spain and Italy. Um, but they're very, very important to these particular markets. And if you don't understand them, you could be really missing out on a huge chunk of the market. Uh, and, and we're going to really learn a little bit about this, but with an expert who's done the hard yards, spent years kind of making her way through the kind of various hoops and understanding the system and is actually an amazing resource as well to those in France. So I wanted to introduce you to a friend and I'm I'm really inspired by her her story, but this is Catherine Eigen. She is the founder of Eigen Training, and what she provides is professional language and communication skills, particularly for those in France. So, Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. thanks so much for having me. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, so <laughs> pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Well, we definitely uh, feel like we've got the right person with uh, you on the show. Now, I'm going to just, I guess, set the kind of framework for maybe what we'll be talking about. So if you're listening in, this is the the general structure. And then we can kind of touch base on uh, each of these ideas. But we're going to really provide a bit of an overview. If you're not too familiar with these language subsidy programs, we're going to be particularly focusing on the one in France. It's called the CPF. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. So I'll ask (laughs) Catherine very nicely if you would pronounce that for us, please. Yeah, so CPF, which stands for Compte Personnel de Formation. Much better than I would have attempted. (laughs) Excellent. Um, So we are going to be talking uh, through this. We're going to be talking about what it takes to get into it, what are the kind of advantages, disadvantages. And then in the kind of second part, we're going to be talking about some tips and advice around it and also what to look out for um, in order to, to stay ahead of this and really utilize this quite amazing program. Sounds good. So, Catherine, I do think you'd be the best person to help us understand what the CPF is, uh, yes. for those that may not know. Well, I didn't actually explain what Personnel de Formation means, <laughs> which means, <laughs> which doesn't help if you don't speak French, it means personal training account. Yeah. So basically, in France, in fact, this is one part of the subsidy um, program, and everybody who works in France, whether you work for a company or you're independent, you get 500 to 800 euros per year in an account that is you can only use for training. And there is another part to the whole training subsidy system, which is for companies and okay. for people who have their own company. So mm-hmm. some places actually are getting extra money as well. Wow. Okay. So when you say that, do you mean if... I was living in France and I have my own company, I might be able to get more than that 500 to 800 a year. Yes, that's right. Because you'd get the 500 to 800 as an individual Mm -hmm. and then you'd get more money as a company. Great. And I want to just highlight the implications of this for a country when it comes to uh, (laughs) buying, you know, language training in this particular Mm -hmm. case. Like that's pretty huge, right? Like it's, that's effectively free money it's money that's on the table that i would otherwise have to spend Um, yes exactly 
and I can spend that on whatever I like. But again, when you're selling a language program, my impression, right, is you're trying to get as much of that uh, training program as that person is willing to to kind of uh, pass, you know, to, to give up. Particularly if that's their kind of focus is like, hey, I really want to focus on my language development this year. Yes. Yeah, so what I've noticed, actually, is that a lot of people that come to us have never used their CPF account, even though they've okay. had it for quite a few years. And they will end up spending most of what's in their account on their language training. Mm-hmm. I think because very often people have don't know what else to spend it on. Yeah. Mm. And so the t- the most popular trainings that people do are um, the driving license, because certain people can do their driving license mm-hmm. with their CPF, language training, and I think the other one was something like Excel. <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay. So foundational training. <laughs> yeah. Formula formulas and <laughs> yes, <scraps>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So it, it also that kind of implies that there's more than just the potential 500 800. There could be kind of some banked training money that might also be able to be utilized. Is that right as well, Catherine? Yeah. So when they first switched over to this system, people had a different training account mm-hmm. called the DIF and they transferred that into CPF. So a lot of people started with 4,000 euros in their account. Yeah. And then the money also accumulates every year if you don't spend it up to 5,000 euros, I think. Yeah. And and by the way, even if there are details here that we kind of skip over, don't worry about it, Catherine. And also as an audience, go and check it out yourself. Um, But it's really good to kind of get these high level uh, numbers. So also just putting a little bit less pressure on Catherine to to be the only authority on this. So please check this out. Yeah, I'm not the only authority on this. <laughs> no, that's great. So um, clearly that actually is a critical piece. If you're wanting to teach in France, it would seem very hard, like you'd be missing a, a big trick to not think about this mm. particular program. Um, so let's talk about the eligibility requirements for this. Now, what, what, do I, what would I need to do to be able to provide training to a, a let's call them a a learner and that learner is able to rely on this subsidy kind of training that they've already got in their bank account. So that's where it gets a little bit difficult because when the CPF first started, it was quite simple. Mm -hmm. You had to fill in some kind of online form and send some documents and then you were allowed to use the CPF. Since then, things are getting more and more complicated So now you have to do an audit, which is called Calliope, and it's a quality audit. It's a full audit with 32 indicators that you have to prove (sighs) that you are following all these different processes. It's not so much about the training itself. It's about processes behind the training. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound like for the faint of heart. (laughs) No, it's really not. I've got my audit surveillance, which is the kind of the midterm audit you have an audit every three years, but in the middle you have um, a checkup audit, let's say. That's coming up in two weeks. Oh, yeah. And I've heard they can be very, very picky even in that kind of middle audit, which is not okay. supposed to be a full audit. To give uh, the audience a bit of a, an understanding of what's involved, like what sort of time are we talking? Like we're talking like a good couple of weeks of just like fully looking at this and making sure everything is lined up or is this like, a three-hour job, but, you know, it's still painful. I'm pretty sure it's the first, right? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it was three hours, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so- a full-on job and you have to have, basically you have to set up systems mm-hmm. for everything from um, what happens when a client contacts you, are you asking them if they have accessibility issues, for example? Um, are you making standard programs and personalized programs? Uh, are you following up whether people have done their tests? Yeah. Uh, are you Do you have processes for continuous improvement, for checking what's happening in the industry? It's That's just a small part of it. And for so, everything... So we really are talking improve. weeks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah especially if you're starting from scratch. I assume it's it's quite similar to these other type of quality certifications that uh, a lot of institutions can apply for, like ISO, ISO, and you have to go through this huge order process and have these structured um, yeah, procedures in place for every little detail. Yeah, exactly. It's mm-hmm. like that. I It's not as in-depth as an ISO, mm-hmm. but it's that same idea. Yeah. Okay, got it. So so that seems like, first of all, you've got to do, and it's not just an application. You're actually, are you going to meet with one of these auditors? Yeah, so Either when I did my first audit, it was in 2021. So we were still online. So I did that online. But okay. normally he would have come to my office. Okay, so it would be an expectation that you'll meet with this Calliope auditor in yes, person. For a whole day. Great. Wow. So this yeah. also, wow, a whole day. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. you have to have lunch with them too. So you got wow. to hope they're nice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so this is obviously, you know, let me just put out the obvious here. You kind of have to be in France to be able to get this, which kind of makes sense in a way, but it really is. Am I right about that? Like, even if you're online, like. um, That's a good question, actually. I think. You probably could do it if you were not in France, uh-huh. if you really wanted to. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking you might be a. Let's say that you were a, uh, a bit, you know, a corporate language training provider. You start doing some great work with your Italian customer, and hey, that Italian customer also has another customer in France, and it's a big, you know, it's maybe it's their kind of head office. Um. You know, could you kind? Do you think that there's a way that you could kind of still, and and that French office might be like, yeah, we're interested, but you know, are you going to be? Are we going to be able to use our CPF? Actually, that's a good question because to have a training organization in France, you have to declare yourself as a training organization to get a number, and you mm-hmm. need that number to then go into the whole process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I'm sure that you probably could get that number if you were not in France. But I think people who are external to France often go through a French organization. Yeah. Makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So um, you've done all of this amazing audit. You've lunched them. You've, you've, you've <laughs> the, the wind and bind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's still not enough because you still also need this agreement with the test center is, I think, a second component. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So if you are just offering training to companies, which is one part of the training subsidy system, you don't need agreement with a test center. But if you are doing the CPF, which is for individuals who want to do language training, 
because they have to do an official test at the end of their training, so TOEIC, for example, as a training company, you have to have an agreement with TOEIC that you are allowed to sell their tests, really, but that you have certain standards to adhere to, mm-hmm. to be able to do that. That's interesting. So it's also in their interest, right? Because they're also going to get paid eventually for that test to be done with that particular student, right? Yes, that's right. So it is in their interest. But now the onus on actually checking that training centers are meeting the requirements and uh, completing the processes that they're supposed to do is now on the testing providers so is that so the, TOEIC? So it's on them or is it on you as the It's on provider? TOEIC. Okay. So oh. TOEIC needs to be sure that everybody who's delivering their tests is following the standards. And if they're not, then goodbye. Got it. Got it. So they've got their own probable audit to be able to exactly, manage yes. that. So they've got yeah. a list of providers that you're allowed to go with, I'm assuming. Yes. And got sometimes it. what's happened in the past is you'll be with one testing provider and overnight, they will lose their um, certification uh, thing. Certification, mm. and you have to quickly find another one. <laughs> okay, very interesting. Uh, is there anything else we sort of miss? So, three weeks of two weeks of hell, one day <laughs> potentially of hell or love, depending on how nice the person is, uh, and then also a, a quick speed date with your your testing center. And now I've got everything. I need to be able to be CPF, right? Uh, yeah. After that, you will have a lot more gray hairs, but <laughs> you can deliver CPF training. Deliver. Okay. And and is that, do you need like a certain badge? Is that, do they give you a certain badge that you need to put on your website or anything like that? Yeah. So we have a certificate and you're allowed to use the, it's not really a badge, but you're allowed to use their logo. Got it. And they even have rules about where you can put the logo. You and cannot put it on a specific training, but you can put it on your website in general. Aha, uh-huh. very good to know. Yes. Uh, question on the you know the certification and that kind of thing. So you've got the certification. How how important is, like are students in France like looking at websites and going, yep, this person's CPF, or is this often something they just kind of assume that you would have if you're offering training and then you kind of have to provide that or or like I'm kind of curious on the marketing aspect of that so what I've well there's one thing with the CPF website actually students can search on there and find their training through that website okay so in theory someone could go on there and find my company through the website Mm -hmm. However, there are about 10,000 different training offers. (laughs) So unlikely the way that people find you. No. Mm, Okay. People seem to assume that if you have a training organization, you have Calliope and you can deliver Mm -hmm. the CPF. Got it. it. Okay. Whereas I think when people are working independently, when they're a freelance teacher, it's learners don't necessarily assume Mm. that you have this. Interesting. Okay. So now that we've got, and one of the things you did kind of mention was that you don't need the agreement with test centers if you're a company, if you're selling to a company. That's right. But you do if you're selling to an individual, right? Yes. Great. 
So we've got all of the work needed to be done to get here. What are the big advantages? And we've kind of covered some already, right? Which is there's this big bag of money that these students can use to pay on their behalf. That's yeah. one major advantage. And effectively, you could be you could be a lot less motivated and be quite easily happy to kind of part with several thousand euro if that's what's in the account that you've never touched. Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the advantages that when you're selling training, you're not selling to people who are going to pay out of their own pocket. Yeah. So definitely what you can charge as a price is higher. Mm -hmm. And people are much much more interested in doing training, which maybe they wouldn't have been if they had to pay themselves. Got it. And what would be the, are there any other kind of major advantages you can think of? Do you feel you're a better person, Catherine, from having gone through this process? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that uh, I have a deeper understanding of French bureaucracy, which is not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> Okay, so we got that as the advantages. I think the disadvantages are quite clearly in the mm. like the massive effort that goes into yeah. it, the gray hairs that are hard to die out after a while. Um, yes, <laughs> and the and the midterm audits, which are a eighteen month uh, party. Exactly, I think you really have to you really have to know that you are going to make it worth your while. Yeah. Mm. Because it's a lot of effort. In a way, it was easier for me because I was already in the system before they made these changes. So I already had clients. And for me, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. I, right. If I don't do this, I don't have a business anymore. But if you're just starting off, I think a lot of people are asking themselves, is it worth it? Yeah. Um, am I going to get clients? And also things change from one day to the next. So it suddenly got more difficult to, to get your training offers up onto the CPF website. They're asking for more documents. They're asking for, um, they're asking you to wait for two months before you can do it. So wow. it's, it's a big question to ask yourself if you're a freelance teacher and you're just starting out. Yeah, probably um, not. Yeah. yeah. I kind of think you kind of have to be, as you kind of mentioned, like you have to be committed to mm. teaching language or whatever your skill set yeah. is. You have, to be, you have to be committed to doing that for at least probably, what, three years uh, yes. in, in a way, right? Because you've got a three-year, uh, yeah. Is it, it's validated for three years. That's right. Yeah, three years. Got it. Okay. So there's some, that was very, like, I think getting into the how it works and who is it best for, um, it sounds like it really can work even for independence, but again, it, it's all about that commitment and knowing that mm. you're going to be able to find, you know, enough students to, to manage your business. Right. Yeah. Mm. And I do know quite a lot of independents who have got Calliope. Yep. Okay. And once you have it, you have a definitely a much larger pool of, of clients yeah. who will pay you more. One thing, one thing is I'm really kind of curious about those in France, then if people kind of assume that you've got it, it's no longer like, oh, we've got it and you don't. So you still have to market and sell yourself just like any other business, but you've had to do this massive bit of legwork to even mm. get in the door. Yes. <laughs> is that, that's how it feels to me on the outside. I don't know if that's true. Cause I just, I don't know how easy it would be to sell French training 
for, you know, sorry, language training. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've still got everything that you would do anywhere else in the world to sell your training offers. You still have to do that. Yeah. You know, uh, getting, being eligible to give CPF training doesn't suddenly bring you a whole load of, of no, clients, unfortunately. No. It would be nice if it did. Yeah but it really doesn't. So you're still doing all of those other things that you need to do to market your own training organization. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's get on to um, some sort of the kind of challenges that people often face. And I think, again, if you're in a different country, there may be other subsidy programs, but I think you're probably going to feel similar pain points to these and hopefully the kind of challenges bit and the tips and strategies bit are kind of areas that are still going to help you whether it be for Funde in Spain or other programs throughout Europe so let's start off with what are the common challenges with CPF in particular what have you found Catherine uh I think the fact that it changes all the time mm -hmm. so they the government actually started a reform in 2017 and they introduced the reform little by little. So yeah. it just the changes just kept coming. I, I sometimes I feel like I'm a frog, you know, the frog that goes into the cold water <laughs> and then gradually is being boiled alive but doesn't <laughs> notice because <laughs> every time it's just another change and you just have to keep up with it all the time. Okay. So is there so, like like and it sounds like they're not even sending you like a nicely formatted you know newsletter with hey Catherine I know that you've got this wonderful <laughs> program that you've spent all this time on and hey here's this one little thing we just love you to do I'm assuming it's not quite like that oh that would be so nice wouldn't it <laughs> if only huh <laughs> yeah no it's really not like that um, so they just say it's like rinse and repeat like hey here's all the stuff and you have to like go through all of that and see if anything's changed is that mm. the impression i'm getting from you yes actually part of your audit is to show that you are keeping up with all the changes by informing yourself from different websites wow. or government yeah. organizations so you have to know what's going on mm -hmm. boiling frog indeed Catherine. yes My yes gosh. that's right Okay, so the the information and the changes is a is a clear kind of um, pitfall and issue because you can fall down in your either initial audit or probably more likely in your midterm audit if you haven't kept up with those changes. If I'm reading things right, yes, or at any point yeah. that the government decides to change something which doesn't even involve the audit, yeah, maybe mm. just something else. Got so, it. one thing that I found is really useful is to find a community because you can then share information, you can share ideas, you can panic together. And so I, I actually set up a, a Facebook group because I wanted to ask questions about nice. what was happening to see if anybody knew the answer to uh, which document do I need for this? And that's mm. become a really nice community of people who have Calliope, who are doing it, who are not in the system, but are interested in what's going on. And that's been really fantastic. Well, definitely tell us. Don't leave us hanging like this, Catherine. What's the <laughs> name of the Facebook? Well, um, if you're in France and you'd like to join, it's called Independent Teachers, Trainers and Formateur amazing. in France. Fantastic. But I think the tip remains, even if you're not in France, mm. go and find yourself a community. If I'm yeah. right about this, Catherine, as well, by even if you want to create one, if it's not in your own country, because once you have that community, you're 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 sharing the burden of keeping up with changes and those sorts of things, if I'm exactly and i'm guessing that other places that have this kind of subsidy system are probably like probably like france that 
it's very difficult to find information on websites. Everything mm. is quite opaque. It's not like mm. England where I'm from, where information is accessible. So you really need to be more than one person to to be able to find the information. So so let's go, let's go into a few more of those pitfalls. So one is the information dilemma and you know missing messing up with your your midterm audit. What are some of the other kind of typical kind of stumbling blocks that people might find? It's this whole idea of I think I call it being admin zen. Okay. <laughs> you need to have you need to just have this feeling that admin is going to happen mm. and you don't have any choice about it. Yeah. You have to just get through it. Yeah. So when don't an, rail against the system. I I have occasionally met someone who says, Yeah, let we need to start a movement and fight against this, but there really is no point. What use, yeah. Fall in love yeah. with paperwork. <laughs> yes. Or just I... deal, you know, it's part of life and it's going to be there. So you just have to say, okay, I need to work out how to do mm -hmm. this piece of admin. Yeah. It sounds like the government's also trying to turn up the temperature to kind mm -hmm. of weed out anyone that's not committed and and possibly also those maybe even outside France, quite honestly. It sounds like a lot of work if you're not, if, if the French market is not your kind of go-to, it seems like a pretty big uh, wall to climb just to kind of dabble uh, yeah, in its yeah. fringes. Yeah, that's right. So I love that um, that tip on admin zen because I think mindset <laughs> is a really critical yeah. aspect yeah. to that. Uh, in terms of information, you've also kind of indicated you know, try and join other community groups where you can effectively share the burden of keeping up with um, your events and also make some friends along the way I'm sure Catherine um, yeah. are, are there any other in, in the CPF aspect are there any particular websites you do think are useful that's a hard question to answer because not one comes to mind wow yeah shows the, uh, <laughs> it shows what you're up against folks yes uh, yeah okay so information's hard Finding a community is a really critical component um, of winning in this in this space. Uh, are there any other kind of yeah pitfalls that we've missed, and then maybe we can talk about some more kind of tips and strategies around what you've found helps. Well, one of the pitfalls, I mean, is the time because, yeah. as I said, you also, if you have a small business like mm -hmm. I do, you also have to deal with everything else that you would normally deal with. Mm. Yeah. So the marketing sales luckily i have an admin assistant or else i would never sleep yeah dealing with i have um teachers who subcontract for me so you know training teachers dealing with teachers all of yeah. those things plus this extra bureaucracy load you really need to manage your time and if you are totally alone it is difficult so let's talk about that time component. It sounds like things have got to be checked. Let's assume that we're not going to rail against the system or start protesting <laughs> in the middle of Paris. Yeah. If that's yeah. the case, uh, how do we go about saving time? Or what have you found 
uh, are the kind of things that take you the most time. Maybe let's start with that. What are the things that take you the most time? And then we can maybe even start brainstorming and sharing some ideas of how to reduce that time commitment. At the beginning, it was definitely creating all the documents mm -hmm. that we needed to create because there are a certain list of documents that you need to have. I mean, some of them are things that everybody needs, where whether you're in France or not, a program, a contract, mm -hmm. um, some kind of uh, sign-in sheet, attendance sheet. Mm -hmm. So creating all the documents and then creating the systems to go through the training. So how are you going to evaluate the objectives? I mean, there's all the things that everybody has to do anyway. Yeah. Evaluating the objectives at midway through, evaluating them at the end. And I think at the beginning, it really was setting up. I just wanted to be able to push a button and the document would pop out. Yeah. And I was wasting loads of time creating different documents for different people. So standardization is a really, or at least yeah. kind of having systems is a really critical component if I'm reading yeah. that right. Yes, for sure. And so what are the things that are in that document that you need to pull? And I'm imagining the hard bit is you've got that information in different places, theoretically, depending on your system, and how can you quickly get them into the right place? Is that right? Yes, because you'll have on the CPF site, you'll have the dossier number. They will sign up on the CPF site. You have to do some things on there. And then after that, they'll kind of move into your system. So you'll need a contract. Uh, you need to keep track of what the, are their official start and finish dates. So you know, are they finishing within the time? Um, you need to obviously keep track of everything for invoicing because invoicing happens at the end. This is oh, this wait, is wait, 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 wait. Yes. Oh wow, that's <laughs> we haven't talked that's about a big this. one. That's a huge. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Hold on. How do we not mention this? <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, you are killing me here. So what? I'm not getting paid up front. I'm getting paid at the end of my program. So with the CPF, you get paid 25% about a month after you declare the official start, start of the training. Okay. This other 75% will come at the after the end of the training, maybe one or two months after you've sent the invoice. Okay. So this already to me strikes as quite interesting because you've talked about a program. Uh, it sounds like the way that it's structured because you've got a certain amount of money for a year or you've banked up a whole bunch of credits and so you can use that within the year or so, whatever it might be. But it sounds like there's a duration that becomes important. And whatever that money value is, is how often you're meeting and how often you're doing classes. Is that, first of all, is that a correct assumption? Um. It depends really on what the person wants. We will often have people who have fairly long trainings that go on for a year, for example, mm -hmm. because they've got 30 hours. We have 30 hours, that takes about a year, sometimes okay. more. Oh, wow. <laughs> there are a lot of holidays here, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because one of the reasons I'm asking that question is, if you have very long contracts, you theoretically could be not getting paid for an entire year. So let's say 100% yeah. of your clients use CPF and they're all on one-year contracts. You would only be paid 25% of your entire year's earnings in the first, let's say, month. But then you wouldn't get paid at all and somehow have to make sure that your business survives for the next 11 months, possibly 12 yeah. or 13 months before I actually get paid. 
Yeah, so cash flow is a big thing because if you have mm. other people working for you, so I pay my teachers every month. Of course you would. I mean, that uh, that's what yeah. the world does is we pay yes. each other. So that is very interesting. So I'm also wondering already, is there an advantage? And there's probably the cost, I imagine, in bureaucracy, but it sounds like there's a reason why you might not want really long contracts but maybe i'm wrong if from a cash flow perspective like what was why would you wouldn't you want to do two six month contracts rather than one one year contract to be able to get paid a bit more regularly or not well that would be nice but then the learner has to do the test at the end of both of those contracts god i knew there was like the the double up of costs right yeah which they usually don't want to do and also once you once they're coming to the end of a contract, you then have to start, basically you're doing another sales cycle, even though they're already your client, but you've got to get them back in to do another training straight away. And that doesn't always happen like that. It's rare that I have people who immediately start another training program. I mean, there are, but a lot of people say, I'm going to have a break now. Mm. And, or it's summer. So everybody is having a two month holiday and then then they've kind of forgotten about it. I'm wondering if there's a trick there then as well on your seasonality. If you know that summer's going to come every year, like is there a trick around like when you want your classes, your end dates to be? Because if your end date is at the start of summer, that's probably, that's a definite like, I'll see how I feel after summer. Whereas if your end date is after summer, then you kind of have them already locked into like a rhythm again. They're back at work. They're kind of doing things again. And then they're more likely to sign up for a second training. Would that be an assumption possibly? But I'm just wondering if no, that, that would be, could be useful. Yeah, that would be true. I have found that a lot of people we work with do see the training in terms of it's a one and done almost one and done okay so you're almost incentivized to get the absolute maximum duration even though that duration therefore could mean that you're not paid for 13 months yeah i mean if you're in a situation where your cash flow is is good enough we normally go for bigger contracts which maybe will last longer because effectively you're like a bank right like you're just banking that you're going to get paid. Yeah. And wow. No, we don't get interest. No, you don't get interest. With no <laughs> interest. Fees. With no yeah. interest. You'll get none of the benefits of being a bank. No, exactly. <laughs> Oof. Okay. So there's some really interesting strategies here. So are there any things like that that you've found useful? Like, I mean, I gave one example just of what came to me, but there might be kind of thoughts around how to use, how to structure and think ahead when you're you're talking to clients about their CPF programs. Yeah, so I will often discuss with them how much of their training fund they want to use and what they're thinking of in terms of of what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they say, I'm thinking of maybe I'll do another training again afterwards, Mm -hmm. in which case you you can start talking to them about that towards the end of the training. But people often use quite a big chunk of what they have in their account. And they don't Mm. actually have that much left over. So something Mm -hmm. that we have done is to create some small group trainings that cost less Mm -hmm. that we can offer them after they've done an individual training, for example. And that's been quite popular. Yeah. 
Interesting. Well, they'll have so, to go so... through the same system. They'll have to do a test at the end again, but it's a different format. Uh, they get speaking practice with other people, hmm. and that's been quite good. I'm curious on the online to in-person. COVID obviously changed a whole bunch with the the whole dynamic of the the market, but already I'm kind of thinking... Um, you know, one of the advantages for a lot of people with online is you can access teachers anywhere, but I'm not going to, if I'm in France, why would I choose anyone that's outside of France for a starter if I've got the CPF? But then I'm kind of curious as well on the market dynamic there. Do, do you find that a lot of your clients are local because why not, even if they're doing a lot of their training online? Like, What is your take on that? And does the CPF kind of skew the dynamic of the market for that same reason we are getting more local clients for sure mm -hmm. another thing is companies that we work with often will send their employees to us to yep. use their cpf mm -hmm. yep. so we have probably i'd say 70 percent are local yeah but then we do get people from all over france and that's since covid because France really was quite behind before in terms of online training. Yeah. And since COVID, people have realized you can do you can do it from anywhere and it works just as well. So I can see that we are getting more local people back now than, yeah. than just after COVID. But definitely yeah. we still have a lot of online people from all over France. So then my question was like, do you, you've been in business a number of years now. Are you finding, you kind of mentioned the one and done. Do you find that people kind of do it? That's the one and done, but then they kind of bank for the next year or two and then they come back to you. Is that ever, a, is that common? And if it, if it is, that's kind of a strategy in itself. If it's not, then it's. it's yes. People story. do do that. Okay. They will, they will do their training. They have 20 hours, 30 hours, whatever. Yeah. And then they'll have a break. And then okay. they'll come back again for something else. So there's almost an interesting part there. I'm thinking, Herbert, and if you've got some ideas or or thoughts as well, but of having something as that filler, like whether that be super cheap in terms of like a once a month kind of webinar style kind of event where it's just about staying top of mind so that when that's banked up and then for you, Catherine, having those systems as well, right? Where it's like bingo and, in two years time, I'm ringing every single one of these people because they've just had two years worth of credits back on their books. Is that the way that you think about that? Yeah. I mean, obviously we nurture people through the, through emails. Mm -hmm. I did try to start a free conversation club. Yeah. Once a week at lunchtime online. Nice. But, but it was amazing how few people actually came. I think because it was free. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's an aspect of low cost there, Herbert, like, cause I think as soon as you create the free aspect, there's a devaluation there's on no the, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then therefore there's no kind of commitment, like even a $1 charge actually, Catherine can often do, do the yeah. job. Um, but if you're going to charge one, why not charge five, but you know, there'll be a kind of price point that kind of works. Yeah. So that's something I think we need to look at again, how we can do that. I'm wondering if there's something, slightly clever about like if you know that you're getting this big chunk of money from cpf and you know that your profit margin is x can you kind of put a percentage of that towards the cost of 
whatever that kind of offer is in that break between that kind of next big kind of gulp, which might be in two years time, Herbert. Because yeah, like the one great thing about the CPF is you've got, should have a higher margin because you can charge more mm-hmm. um, for that. And if you kind of think ahead, then maybe you can kind of use a, a piece of that as the seed for the next big chunk that you'll get. I'm just, Herbert, you're very good at this, right. but if there are any other kind of thoughts like you have about- selling the- Yeah, the, like the pre-selling. Yeah. A little bit, exactly. Like a, a book early, kind of early bird special or whatever. I was also thinking- because uh, Catherine, you mentioned, you know, someone books 30 hours and they take one whole year to complete that, which (laughs) is a long time for only a a little man of hours. There would be an incentive there for institutions to um, try and get the the, the learners to have more regular lessons, which also has the impact you know, more regular lessons more often is also better for the learner. So maybe maybe yeah. there's something there to encourage or even incentivize learners to uh, use those 30 hours up in six months instead, which will also benefit you in terms of cash flow. So there's kind of like quite a lot of benefits, it seems, uh, yeah. of, of, of shortening that because then, uh, yeah, you're going to be able to see them earlier. They're going to get probably a better result and maybe there's an advantage even in like price wise like hey look you know for you um you can do it in in a year and you'll use up all of your training but if we do this in six months i think you're going to get a much better result and in fact i'm going to give you these extra classes for the next six months i'm going to give you one extra class as like a top up for the next six months after that which you may or may not end up using by the way Catherine. if they don't use it they don't use it but you've got like a touch point for then the next because they're effectively paying up you're getting the money six months earlier which is a win and then you're using a bit of that um that money right as the seed to to their next uh their next kind of training there's some stuff there that's really interesting with the cpf yeah Herbert, any other kind of thoughts you have around tips and tricks that we could kind of apply to help people that are using these subsidy programs to yeah to get the most out of them uh yeah uh, definitely shortening that time frame i mean you're you're working with the behemoth of a a structure you know it's a government program but you know there are tricks uh and ways to get the most out of it for for yourself um and for your organization so it's about being a bit clever with how you structure your programs Mm. i know we have something similar here in austria as well um and yeah, kind of also leveraging that in your marketing as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Something that I have done, we have done before, at the moment it doesn't apply, but at one point they had a cap, an hourly rate cap on certain training. Mm-hmm. And some of the other funding systems, not CPF, still have that. Mm-hmm. So for example, there was one time where they said language training couldn't be more than 35 euros an hour. Mm-hmm. And of course, for an individual training, that's not a lot. Mm. So, but there was, you have to be creative to think of ways around that because 35 years now, what is that? It doesn't specify what you have to do. So you can you know, put people in groups or um, include e-learning mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. for 35 years. So, and there were or people- Or you can change just, the duration as well. 
Is that based on per hour or is that per class? That was based on per hour. Okay. Mm. So some people were saying, oh, it's 35 euros an hour. I have to charge 35 euros an hour, even though I have this one person individual training. But always be a bit more creative. Can you fit something else in there? Can you put some e-learning that you've created? Can you do some self-study within that 35 euros an hour? You know, think about your time and how much you want for that and make a program that fits if you have a, a cap. That fits yeah. within the hourly rate. Very clever. Well, it definitely got my mind kind of thinking of new <laughs> uh, new ways. Do you have any tips, particularly on the administrative aspect? Like, surely if everybody's doing the same program, can't we just use templates to largely do the same thing? Like, they're systems in in essence. So I'm kind of curious why that or is or isn't true. Well could be the nature of our the way we do things because we do very personalized training we do a lot of individual training and one of the selling points is that it's personalized so in the first session we do a full needs analysis mm -hmm. and then use that to create a program and actually actually that's one of the things we have to show in the audit that we are adapting programs to people's needs but then you need to show that you have made a different program for that person. Now we've kind of systemized that so that the teachers take care of that. I have some things to help them. Part of it is uh, in a ready-made document for them, and then they can add in the rest. Is the part that takes the most time, is it the creating of the systems or is it in the implementation of like the paperwork of actually like filling in the paragraphs in this giant? Yeah, the implementation. Okay, it's the implementation. Yes. Yeah, makes sense. So it's not just the words getting them into the form. It's like no. the fact that you have to, with an auditor, go through each piece of this. Yeah. Mm. And actually, I mean, for me, I'm not somebody, I can make a system, but then actually following a system is terrible. I just can't do it. So for me, that was the difficulty because I'd make a great system and then I wouldn't follow it. And then I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> 50 people don't have a program and I don't know how many hours they've done and it's, you know, everything's falling apart. Yeah. Okay. I, I actually took on an admin assistant who cannot sleep if she hasn't filled in the Excel sheet correctly. Isn't that the biggest tip, right? Like it, you want one of those people that yeah. loves process mm -hmm. and then yeah. you can say, Hey, look, I'm not the process person. You are own it. And then kind of let them yeah. run with it, um, obviously with your kind of expertise. But that sounds like a really uh, great trip. So just to summarize what we've been able to go through here, we've really been talking about how to make the most of these subsidy programs that are available in Europe and other countries. We've really talked about some uh, tips and, and kind of strategies about it and also how to avoid some of these pitfalls. And Catherine. Wow, what a fount of, of knowledge. I feel like I could listen to you uh, all day. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I feel like I've put everybody off who ever wants to go into one of these. <laughs> hey, you've Don't just got, maybe that was the point. That's it. You've got so, so few competitors now. Everyone's like, nah, not doing that. But Catherine, your business is going to boom. Um, in fact, Catherine, it sounds like your big kind of uh, – called action might be if you're in france to join your community and yeah help out by the way because catherine would love your help and helping her navigate this too so again what's the facebook uh group that they can find 
So it's called Independent Teachers, Trainers and Formateurs in France. Fantastic. Great. Come and join us. Definitely check it out. Um, Herbert, if people are wanting to learn about you, they can find you at? Uh, learnmedia.com. And that's with uh, spelling, please? L-U-R-N. That's the one. <laughs> and if you're interested to learn more about LearnCube's virtual classroom online school, you can find more at www.learncubecube.com. But thank you so much for joining us again, Catherine. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.